0: Episode 87 of The Bevan James Isles Show, the Fitness Behavior Podcast, The Silver Bullet. do right, welcome along to episode 87 of the Bevan James I'll show your fortnightly podcast on the behaviors that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that go alongside it now today was meant to be my interview episode but unfortunately I had two people lined up for an interview because uh, I was trying to get a little bit ahead of myself and both of them had to postpone and it was a bit a, little bit a little bit unfortunate but you will get them in the future and both of them are people who I'm pretty excited about getting on the show um, I won't give names yet, but once I get to getting those people on the show, I'm pretty sure you guys will be pretty happy I managed to get these people on, because both of them offer insights and kind of in different fields, but in kind of really powerful ways, so we'll be talking about those people in the future. So i kind of gone back to the Bevan show today, so today's show is going to be just me sharing some thoughts on some areas that I think can add value to your life and what you're doing around health and exercise in your life. Before I get into the main part of today's show, I want to share an experience I had myself last weekend. So last weekend, I so in Christchurch I have this running business also in Wellington in New Zealand, and within that we have different levels of products, and if you've listened to the show for a while, you've probably heard me talk a lot about the product Get Up To Five, which is our beginner runner program, uh, but outside of that we also have a 10k product and we have a half marathon product, and we also have a half marathon product that's designed to be extremely hard uh, and it's called race team epic and racing epic is basically it's a winter product so most people in winter particularly with outdoor exercise really lack motivation because it's dark it's cold it's wet it's windy and so on and traditionally with our business what we used to do is through the winter period we basically didn't really have much going because we knew it's going to be really hard to sell doing you know some kind of outdoor sporting event through winter and then after a few years of not trying anything I kind of thought to myself one day well why don't we try to do something that's deliberately hard and kind of embracing all of the challenge that the cold time of the year represents to people so we're going to We're going to train in the morning, you know, at six in the morning, so it's going to be dark. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. It's going to be windy. Um, The program is going to be extremely hard. Like, it's not going to be your typical half marathon program. This program is designed to almost kind of break people um, mentally at least not physically but kind of get them them mentally to higher levels and the whole idea is if, if we think about if you think about as a running coach what we try to do is we try to periodize your year or in any sport a coach will use periodization and that's basically where we think of a year and we break it down into different cycles and have different objectives for the year depending on your A goals B goals and C goals and it's one of the problems for people who often train regularly you know one of the biggest problems for people who have the habit of exercise is they just do the same thing all the time and it's one of the real values in investing in a good personal trainer or a good coach or something like that because what they can do is they can really set out a bit of a plan that's going to help you grow depending on the needs of what you're trying to achieve. And and they will shift that plan throughout the year because if we think about the adaptation process, we want to be able to be stressing the body in new ways so it continues to grow. And for a lot of people who have the habit of exercise, that can be a problem that they have because they have the habit, but it's just a routine that they do the same week in, week out. Week in, week out, all year round. And so there's kind of two types of people, isn't there? There's the people who, a lot of the people, a lot of my work goes into how do I help people create the habit of exercise? And that's, you know, for all of those people out there who don't do exercise, well, that's a big challenge. And that's a lot of what the content I've done on the show is about. But then there are those people who are listening to this, and I'm sure it's many of you who have the habit of exercise, but in some ways you're actually that's almost your weakness because you just do the same thing all the time and really that's where getting a good personal trainer or a good coach depending on the movement you're doing they will actually try to develop a program that does periodize your training year in a way that helps you get the best gains out of the year and if you are trying to do a sport or something where you want to achieve a result then they will try to peak you towards those moments and that's the real value of that investment well with going back to the race team epic with this we we basically thought well let's make our winter season the time to get extremely strong so if we think about running most of the people doing my running groups will will do a summer half marathon or marathon that they want to do really fast and so the f- kind of theory is that through winter we're going to build a really strong engine so they're going to get a lot of strength work in they're going to get a kind of max heart rate work in and so that when it comes time that they come out of winter they've got this this engine that's just a much more impressive engine or efficient engine or stronger engine that then, then when they move into their speed work, which would be the next period of their periodisation, heading towards the next race, it's going to be a lot more speed work base. But because they're stronger, they've got a better foundation to be able to do that. So with Racing Epic, that's what we do. We do a hill repeat session each week, and it's it kind of gets harder and harder as the weeks progress. They do a track session that also has a hit circuit in it, and then they do these hill runs that each weekend uh, that are very challenging, and, uh, and I deliberately make them challenging. Now at the end of the 10 weeks of of training that we put on our own half marathon, and the half marathon is a half marathon that I designed to be just killer, basically. I just designed it. It It's there to test people to be at their max. So they basically run up in Christchurch. We've got two of the steepest climbs in Christchurch. I'm not sure of the exact gradient, but they're very, very challenging. And they basically run uphill for about 8 or 9Ks. Turn around, run straight back downhill. So they run up this very steep road, then it evens out a little bit, and then they've got two or three k's where it's a bit more undulating with a bit of a spike at the end. Then they get to the turnaround point, and then they basically got to run downhill for like seven, maybe seven or eight k's. So that's the first kind of 18 k of the run. So you've you've killed yourself running uphill, then your legs have been beaten up going downhill, and then they get to about 18 k in the run. And they have to run up Christchurch's steepest street. And basically from the bottom to the turnaround point at the top, it's 1.2 k's. And it is extremely challenging. Now it's challenging if you're fresh. But if you've just ran 17 k's where you've ran uphill and downhill, your legs are beaten up. And the whole idea of this race is to kind of get people to that moment where they have to face this massive challenge and in doing that they, they've turned into this hill with you know 17 18k under their legs where their legs are tired and they have to face just the most steepest thing they had to do all day and one thing I, I've, I thought about so, so when we first did the group it was really fascinating when we first did the group the first time we did the race team epic the first year 90% of the field walked a section, you know, walk throughout the run, and now in some ways as, as an athlete, there are times when you're running where it's actually better to walk, and there's actually some, in running, there's some argument to say that run-walk strategies are a really good strategy nowadays, but I like the idea of kind of making people try to run this whole run and and the reason is I think it's the harder choice at times and, and ultimately I want the mental challenge to be the thing um, on that, on your kind of race day and so the first year we did it I think we had like maybe 70, 80 people doing the run and Of the 70 or 80, only like maybe five managed to run the whole thing. And it was a really interesting observation or or learning experience for me as a coach in that moment. Because the first year it happened, what happened was, the race starts, they run for about a kilometre on the flat, and then they go up the hill. The first hill is one of those first, most steepest hills. So the first hill was probably maybe two or three K of extremely steep running. But they are fresh at this time in the run. So if, they, if they're not as long as they're not silly and go too hard, they, sh- they should be able to manage to get up that hill. Well, the first year what happened was everyone took up, up that hill and the person who was kind of at the front went a little bit hard and they decided that they were going to walk. And it was a really fascinating moment because everyone behind that person, basically it was like a domino effect. They all just decided, bugger this, I'm going to walk as well. So by one person kind of giving up on running, it allowed others to accept. I'm not going to do this as well, and oh, I'm not going to run up this hill myself. And it was really fascinating to kind of to see that. And it, it is this thing, you know. I think back to last podcast, and I was talking about those triggers that allow us to kind of fail. And that excuse of, or this is better than some, you know, somebody else is worse than I am. You know, that kind of, when I do something bad, like I might eat some chocolate, but my friend eats way more chocolate than I do, so that's okay. And this is one of those moments where other people's behaviors actually negatively affected what I was trying to achieve. So because the person in front of me gave up, it gave me permission to give up. And I found that really fascinating. And it's actually something that maybe... Today's show is going to be a Bevan show, so you know these Bevan shows are a little bit more random. But, you know, I do think there is something in your life to kind of learn when am I allowing those around me to diminish the thing that I was aiming for. Because before this, you know, before that first year, I did say to everyone, the goal was to run the whole thing. But, you know, 90% of the field didn't. And 90% of the field gave up. Well, no, probably not 90%, but of the people who gave up, you know, most of those people could have ran the, fir- the whole thing that first year. And basically because somebody else gave up, they allowed themselves to give up. And there's probably some insight in that there for us as we think about ourselves. like When we are trying to achieve something and somebody gives up or someone around you that does the behavior as well, that you are trying to stay away from, so let's think of an eating environment, or a drinking environment, let's say that you've gone out for dinner, and you, and you know, and you're trying to lose some weight, and you know that temptation at dinner is a big thing, and so you kind of go into it with a bit of a future thinking plan around what I want to achieve when I go out for dinner tonight, you know, the amount of food I want to have, I still want to enjoy the experience, but I want to put some limits around it, and so on, I might stay away from dessert, and so on, so you kind of got a strategy going into that dinner. But then when you go out for dinner and you've got this friend and they go, oh, mate, bugger this, when I'm going out for dinner, I'm going to let my hair out and I'm going to go crazy tonight. And they may even, you might be somebody you're going, you know, you're both working on a diet at the same time. Now, in that moment, it's like that person going up the hill. They've decided they're going to walk up that hill. Now, do you become somebody, when you see that person in front of you walk up the hill, do you become someone who goes, "Eh, maybe I'm going to walk up the hill, meaning maybe I'll eat more food tonight. And that's something to really start to be aware of when we are thinking about creating change and holding change in our tougher moments, is to learn, okay, well, I'm going out for dinner tonight, here's my strategy, if somebody else goes off their strategy, my job is just to keep focused on my strategy. You don't need to verbalise it, you might just go, oh yeah, that's cool, I'm just going to stick, you know, here's what I'm doing, or you can just kind of make it work for you. But there is something in learning about these kind of influences that can affect me and move me away from the thing that I'm trying to achieve. So going back to the run. So after the first year of doing it, I was a little bit frustrated because I was kind of, you know, hoping most people would be able to run the whole thing. And, And for most people to kind of give up and start to walk within kind of the first 15 minutes of the run... You know, it's a hard run, I was still happy they finished the race, but at the same time I was, I was kind of thinking, well, how can I motivate people to work harder, or to, to push through at those tougher moments a little bit more? So after doing the race for the first year, I determined that what we're going to do the second year is we're going to have a, a different type of medal system, a medal as in a finishes medal system. After the first year of doing the race, we created a two medal system, and the two medal system was you get a medal if you just finish the race, but you do do some walking. And this was one of the downfalls of this two-metal system, is that in some ways, if you have a two-metal system, it does diminish the value of the person who's just finished the race, even if they walked. Because in fairness to that person, this race is bloody hard. And to be able to run the whole thing is... Is, is is an extremely hard thing to do so to even be able to complete it with a little bit of walking is a massive achievement and so I had this little bit of a dilemma because I was like well I want to be, be able to motivate people to push on through one of those hard moments but I don't want to diminish the value of those who maybe could never have ran the whole thing anyway but I determined that that's just one of the things that has to come alongside it. So I wanted it to be that if you and so blue was blue medal was so basically you get the medal but the ribbon was blue. If you meant if you walked some and if you ran the whole thing, you got the red ribbon. So it was the same medal but the ribbon was red. Um, and and unfortunately that's just you know having that system there is a little bit of the, maybe it does diminish the value for the person who walked a little bit, but at the same time we've been doing this for a few years now and ultimately I think uh, you know. For those who do walk a little bit, I still think it doesn't diminish very that much. I'm sure they were pretty happy with how they finished the race. But the fascinating thing was, the second year, so you know that was a choice I made. The ultimate motivation was more important than maybe a little bit of diminished feeling for those who who do 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 a little bit of walking. So the second year we did the race, and everyone took off. And and the funny thing for me is, I I stay at the start line, so I don't really see what's happening out there in the race. And the second year we got back, and again we had maybe... 60 or 70 people do the race, the same amount of people basically. And the second year, so the first year of the 70 people who did the race, I think four or five ran the whole thing. Well, the second year when we did the race, I put the medal system in place, you get the blue medal if you do some walking, you get the red medal if you run the whole thing. Well, the second year I did the race, 80% of them ran the whole thing. Over, I think it was like sixty, you know, 60 or 55 of them, ran the whole thing this this extremely hard race that has this test when you're the most fatigued eighty percent of them pushed on through and it was a real example of motivational tools really when you think about it wasn't it that I, i put in place a tool that made people desire a higher level of self and that's what i love about sport i love this you know i often talk about this in class and i've probably talked about this on the show in the past and this whole idea of who are you when you are your weakest you know it's it's really easy to be strong when we are fresh when we um, you know got lots of energy you know when when we're you know when we're trained well but when you've been running for 18k's and your legs are beaten up, and you're running out of energy, and you turn into that street that is the steepest road in Christchurch, and you know you're going to have to grind up it for 1.2 k's. Who are you in that moment? And what's going to be the thing that gets you through? And that's what I found really fascinating about that tool that I put in place. That once I put that tool in place... Some reason it allowed people to dig deeper and find a much higher level in themselves. So there's probably something in there, and that that whole how do I find tools and how do I put motivational tools when I am you know there's probably two few things I'll take away from this is I love the idea of searching for that moment where I have to find that myself. You know, I, I love the idea of trying to put that place in my life. That, that the idea of testing that who am I in my weakest moment and that's not just an exercise like exercise is obviously a great way to kind of explore that journey you know when we look about what's happening with exercise in the last period this kind of hard exercise has become a really appealing thing and I think one of the the really appealing thing about hard exercising is you do test who am I when you are weak and uh, and then it's probably the second thing is what tools of motivation can I put in place when I had those moments. So last weekend we had the run for the latest group and the funny thing was I'd never actually done the run and, and to be honest this year I actually even made the run harder than what it had been in previous years. So this year the run was actually harder and um, I'd never actually ran the actual course that i designed in some ways it's a little bit unfair because here i am getting everyone to do this course and um i'd never did it myself so i kind of thought i wanted to measure it for gps so i thought oh well i can measure it the day before the run and i just kind of wanted to do it myself just for credibility and to know what my runners have gone through and i wanted to run it like a race so i didn't just want to plot around and kind of get the run done i wanted to treat it as much as I could like a race now admittedly it's a little bit different when you do it by yourself because when you have a race you are being influenced by those around you and often in bad ways and sometimes in good ways or depending on the race bad ways often with the influence of others it's early on in an endurance race often in an endurance race early on people will chase people in ways that makes them go off their own plan and then later on the race is actually going to be a really powerful thing because those around me can become a motivator to push me to to chase them down or to beat them but kind of, so it kind of depends on the time in the race but I didn't have that obviously so it wasn't total race like but at least I tried to t- treat it with the, the kind of mindset that I would go into a race with so I wanted to race smartly up the hill run as fast as I could down the hill and then attack that last climb that that one2 Ks where it's killer with as much kind of energy as I possibly could so I went out, took my run off ran up the hill, ran pretty smartly up the hill, got to the top of the hill, it was, it was pretty tough, uh, got, ran along the top, got to the top of the hill, turned around, and I wanted to run fast downhill, which means it comes at a cost to the legs, you know, if you're running fast downhill, you are kind of beating your legs up, and I think I was running, I don't know, maybe 3 minute 20k pace, so, you know, the gradient was definitely pretty helpful, running downhill, and then I got to the bottom of Solaris Ave, and, and I had that moment, I, I, I think I'd raced ran quite smart i knew i i knew i could get home that wasn't the problem but the question i really had was how hard could i push up that hill and it was a real good moment for me to kind of practice strategies that i'm an advocate of teaching other people so one thing i always talk about to my athletes is you know in your toughest moment try not to become about who you are try to become about the process i'm trying to work through so in steep hill running often your body position is a really important thing a lot of people when they're running in the hills will tend to bend over and so you know when we run up hills we want to keep our posture up nice and tall so we're kind of working the gradient of the hill want good cadence and my turnover and stuff like that so as the first part of the hill came along I really focused on the process uh, the other thing I did which is a big motivator for me is I, is I put my favorite song on I, there's a Kanye West song uh, called Runaway which is kind of you wouldn't think as a traditional running song but for me it just works and so as I was running down the hill I just kind of switched on to that song as I prepared to go up this challenging climb so the first probably half of the hill I was doing pretty well I was managing my technique the music was pumping me up I was pushing good intensity my heart rate was pretty high and then I got to about halfway and the struggle began and it began because I knew I still had you know, another 600 meters to go of this very steep climbing, and I was holding my technique, but I was finding it hard to hold my maximum intensity. And I was in this place where, you know, because it wasn't a race and because I wasn't chasing people, I could easily just go, you know what, just get up the hill. Now, I could I could have just plodded and slowed down a little bit and got up that hill. No one would have known. It, it didn't matter. I wasn't racing. I wasn't trying to beat anyone. I was, you know, but it was that moment. Who are you in your weakest moment? And in that moment, I wanted to I wanted to see if I could push harder. And um, so I went to a question, which I think was a really good question to explore in that moment. And it's a, a simple question, but I love the use of questions in our tough moments. Questions that direct our focus towards us getting the most out of that moment. And the question I went to is just, what's the hardest level you can push right now? What's the hardest level you can push right now? And I just made that an affirmation in my head. What's the hardest level you can push right now? And by putting that question in my head, I was basically just monitoring myself for that next 600 meters as I was working up the hill. I was trying to find that line of, you know, what's the hardest I can work without going over the edge where I have to stop? You know, and I would say for that next 600 metres, I managed to stay on the edge of my hardest, uh, probably for f- maybe 500 metres of it. You know, like there was kind of, it's kind of if you think of like a metronome or, or kind of like a, oh, I'm not quite sure of the best thing, kind of a thing that goes back and forth. You know, you're, you're kind of pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, and you kind of creep it back a little bit, and then you pull it again. It was kind of that, ex- that experience for me as I was running up that hill. Got to the top of the hill, got home, and and I was really proud of how I managed that run. And so I suppose the last kind of key point I want to kind of take give to you guys at this moment is that when you get to that moment where you are trying to test yourself to the max, how do you stay at the max? For me it was, you know, obviously process-driven thinking using great emotional tools like music. An emotional tool in a race would be, you know, somebody to work towards. But ultimately using good questions that help me focus on what's going to, the actions I want to achieve out of that moment. And for me, that affirmation of how do I get work as hard as I possibly can in this moment, just keep me focused and pushing up to the top of that hill. And ultimately, that's what sport is for me. Like, don't get me wrong, I like competition and I do like beating other athletes so, you know I do get a bit of a buzz out of that um, but it's that moment that that ultimately gives me everything I want from sport it's that moment that you learn you know I remember I had David Galbraith on the show a few episodes ago and he was a very popular interview and he talked about the icing and the cake and the icing is, you know, the, the kind of stuff that's actually not that important. But the cake is, you know, how do I evolve as a person through this this challenge that I'm putting myself into? And I'm excited about this challenge because I learn. I want challenge in my life because it gives me the chance to embrace and learn and grow. And for me, in those moments, to have tools that keep me focused on that is a really important thing. So, um, yeah, yeah and there probably is one other aspect i want to share about my experience i had last weekend so that was my day and, and it, was, it was one of those runs where i was proud of how i dealt with that situation and hopefully from me sharing that with you the story if you there's just some really cool insights that you can take away and maybe try to implement into what you're doing and, and i would say is you know look for those moments that that are a test moment for you, and try to find them under fatigue, because that's a much more challenging place to find it, look to use tools that are going to motivate you to to make better choices, you know, things like my metal system, or, or music, or the questions and things like those, and then after the fact, you know, you can reflect and learn upon how you can improve on these things. Just just want to share the second part to the story. And I know, gee, this, this is the intro. So as always, I kind of go on in the intro. But um the second part of the story was the next day. So the next day, all my latest group were doing the run. And it was just a great example of what sport is in people's life. And and, and I'm I've got to say I'm really just proud of what my business, my Joe, my partner and I, our business does because it was A, we were lucky because it was a beautiful day for weather. And B, you just saw people, you know. I talk about my I being proud of myself because I challenge myself and I kind of push at that hardest moment. Well, for four hours on last Saturday morning, I got to experience everyday people coming into moments like that. And you'd see them cross the finish line and just being overcome with emotion and it was just and and you know just watching the personal struggle the personal challenge the personal achievement was such an attractive thing but also what was really attractive was that watching you know because we build we try to build community around what we do is once everyone finished you know everyone else coming in and supporting everybody else who came across the line and it was a really magical thing, and, and we had these people come along and do massage for the runners, and afterwards, as they were packing up, they said, that has been one of the most amazing things I've seen this year, is just watching all of those people come in and achieve this goal, and, and the group, you know, a lot of the people who started with this group, uh, started with our 5K group, these are people who a year ago were afraid of running 30 seconds. You know, I think in the latest group, we had like 10, 15 runners who within the last year went from doing, you know... Nothing, absolutely nothing with when they came along to get up to five thirty seconds was scary to running a stupidly extremely hard half uh, half marathon, you know just it was just so inspiring, and it was one of those moments where you just go, This is what sports is all about. This is what exercise is all about. It's about empowering, it's about inspiring, it's about discovery. It's about connection. It's about being in nature. It's about this. It was just, it just reinforced everything that's great about sport and and, and great about people because ultimately, people, the group, the individual showed character that was amazing. But also, the group as a whole showed a caring that we all want to support each other in our growth. And so, it was just something I'm, it was just amazing. It was just really, really cool. So, Cheapest creepers. My intro's gone for 30 minutes. (laughs) So hopefully there's some stuff for you there, guys, because it's just one of those weekends I was just so many insights for myself uh, and for my world. So I just wanted to share those with you. Guys, if you want to become a patron of the show, You can come to my website, bevanjamesis.com and it's pretty obvious on the site how you do that. It's just a little link to patronage and that is a way that you can support me and what I'm doing. And basically what happens with patronage or Patreon is you just support this show and every time i release a show you donate whatever amount you want to donate to the show if you think the show adds value to your life and you think that you know you want to support me in getting more great content out to you it's a really great way to do that and i'm just going to pull up in a few names of some of the people who are patrons of the show okay and we've got some really great patrons and uh katrina the architect um Katrina, I don't have your last name, so if you want to flick me through your last name, but feel free to do that, because you know who you are, Katrina, and you're a bloody rock star, obviously, Kim anderson Hadley and she is surging further, and Kim's actually doing the Sydney Marathon in the next couple of weeks, or maybe next week, so good luck to Kim. She's a bit of a... Kim is a hard ass when it comes to training, man. You know, I, I, you, I, you, as a fitness professional, you you know you're hard workers, and, and it's really funny, because sometimes... Um, Yeah, you can't pick it. But Kim is just one of those people who, whenever you see Kim exercising, there's kind of one gear, and it's all on. We've got Lance Kingy, uh, the Queen of Change, and she's a really big supporter of the show, and she's also a pretty amazing fitness professional herself, based in Wellington. Wendy Schaefer, and Wendy the Rockstar. I'm pretty sure I called her the Schaefer because of Paul Schaefer from uh, The Late Show with David Letterman. I could be wrong. Uh, Louisa Crosby, uh, Kitchen Queen, Quite sure well, why are we with kids, Oh no, no, I do know. Louisa is the one who had the awesome blog about um, food and eating and stuff. She's actually also hardcore as well. Should I see her at the gym. Ella Green, boom boom pow. That's just a pretty cool nickname. And Darren Bussine, and he is Darren Dangerous. So those people are already patrons of the show. And for the patrons who are patrons, guys just really appreciate what you bring to the show. It means a massive amount to me creating this work. So if you want to be a patron, go to bevanjamesos.com and we'll rock on from there. Anyway, I'm going to get into the main gist of today's show right about now. I had an experience with one of my clients the other day where they they shared an email. One thing I have with my clients, so I, so basically with my clients, I work as kind of a mentor slash coach with my clients, and um, uh, I love it because there's something about sitting down and you know, most of my clients are overseas on Skype, but sitting down with somebody and kind of just working through stuff with them and, and helping them progress forward. And one thing I have with my clients is the ability to contact me and just kind of send thoughts to me by email. And uh, so we kind of have our, our sessions where we kind of catch up on Skype and talk about things. But the other thing we also do is a lot of my clients, we just kind of send through thoughts and learnings that they have along the way. And one of my clients the other day sent me an email, uh, which was really interesting about how their car had, had some problems. I think the car needed a warrant of fitness, and uh, so in New Zealand we have a warrant of fitness, and that's basically I think annually or every six months you basically have to get your car checked up just to make sure that the car's isn't got any problems. I'm sure every country does this, but in case your country doesn't, uh, and then you know then you get that done every six months, and for some reason I don't know they saw that their warrant of fitness may have been a bit of a burden over the next period of time, and. They they sent me this email saying, hey, it was, I've, I've discovered something that I kind of discovered that my need to get the warrant of fitness seemed like hard work. And I, I almost woke up to my finding myself looking for a new car. And uh, I didn't even realise I was kind of doing it. I just kind of, in this moment, I woke up to finding myself looking for a new car. And it's really funny because ultimately, because finding a warrant, getting a warrant of fitness seemed like a bit of a burden... I went for the easy option of buying a new car, and uh, and this was kind of a bit of a metaphor for some of the stuff this person was working through in their life, and it really got me thinking, and and it's an, a really interesting experience, and and I think I will share an experience from my life in this areas here, and you know for me the area of my life which. I would look for, and I'm going to call this the silver bullet solution. The silver bullet solution is my piano. You know, the piano is the thing in my life that I'm always trying to improve on that takes a real long time to improve on. And so I remember I was doing some work a while ago on some area of piano, and and I was just trying to get better, and, and I just... Just wasn't happening. I was just getting a bit despondent about my piano. It was one of those moments where, like, am I ever getting better? And, and you know, all those things. And when you're in that place, you can just kind of feel, I'm never going to get there. And, uh, you know, and as a pianist, I don't know if I've definitely been the person who's progressed as fast as I could have. I don't know, you know, I think I talked about this when uh, a couple episodes ago when I did an interview with, who was it that I did interview with? Uh, Andrew Erickson and talking about the peak, and how I talked about how, you know, with my playing, I don't know if I've kind of taken the smartest path in my projection forward. And so, you know, I was getting a bit despondent. And and suddenly, when I was sitting down to find the piano, play my piano, you know, like I kind of try to give myself at least an hour a day practicing piano and up to an hour and a half. And on my day off, I try to even get two hours and maybe even longer. But um, I found myself when I'd sit down to play the piano, not really playing but having my laptop next to me searching for courses that were going to be the answer the silver bullet the thing that was going to give me that you know the quick fix to the, to the place that i wanted to get to as a pianist and you know and so i kind of there was a period you know for a couple of weeks where of that hour i was meant to be practicing piano not much was really happening because i was kind of spending all this time searching for the the tool that was going to be the answer um, and so hence, for that reason uh a I wasn't getting much piano practice in, and b I actually eventually did buy a course now now when you when you step back from that moment and you look about where you, how you're looking at things, and this is kind of what my email from my client was saying is that you know when they realize this. And I actually spoke to them afterwards, you know, once they got the Warren of Fitness, they need for a new car, just totally disappeared. And when you look at it after that, it, it, you kind of think, well, it's a bit kind of silly to think just because Warren of Fitness is a bit tough, that I should buy a new car. And it's the same with me when it came to the piano, because as I looked at these courses, they were promising the earth. You know, they were saying, you know, that, you know, never play piano? We'll get this course and within three months you can be playing, you know, like, Mozart, well, maybe not that level, but it was definitely overselling the result that you could get. And But in that moment, because I was so despondent about my piano playing and felt I wasn't getting where I wanted to get and, and my focus was on finding the, the silver bullet solution, I lost the ability to have a rational perspective on what I was really looking at. Like realistically, if you had asked me any other time if I wasn't in that emotional place, I would have said well, that's foolish there's no way anyone can pick up a, a piano and play it in three months and be playing it really well it's just not possible like I know we like to think of the the goodwill hunting scenario you know the the um you know this kind of goes back to Anders and the person who starts something and master it in three weeks well that's a percent person it's it's not the case you know it, it's it's growth comes from hard work and growth comes from hard work from using some of the tools that Anders talks about you know deliberate practice reflection growth mentoring and so on so but in this moment you know i was i didn't have the ability to see that the silver bullet was actually kind of a stupid choice and i remember i bought a course i think i paid like 300 400 bucks for it too so it wasn't cheap i paid three or four hundred dollars for this course which was going to be the silver bullet answer and uh, I've got to be honest. As soon as I bought the course and opened the course up, I was like, "That was such a waste of money." You know, that was such a waste of money because as soon as I saw the content, a, it was stuff I kind of already knew, and b, it was, it was just, it was just unrealistic. You know, it was just setting up for failure. So, basically, because I, des- I was in a place of desperation, as and I wanted to get better at the piano. I looked for an answer that was irrational. And that answer became really appealing because it ticked my emotional box. So I went for what we'll call the silver bullet solution. And after the fact, it, it didn't deliver at all. Now, luckily for me, in that moment, I kind of woke up and thought, oh, that was a bit stupid. But there was a cost to it. It cost me about $400. I lost a couple of weeks practice within this. And ultimately for a lot of people and luckily for me it didn't because i kind of it just reinforced oh just keep on the path you're on but or you were on before you started searching down this path but ultimately for a lot of people those moments there reinforce that i'm a failure so let's look at the weight loss solution so for a lot of people out there they want to lose weight and to be honest it's it's that one thing that i've never really tried to push in the work that i do um, I've always, my, I've, I always see myself as to, my goal is to get people moving. And, and if I wanted to make money, um, and maybe if I was a smarter businessman, I'd go for a weight loss product because to be honest, that's kind of what people want. Um, but I just believe in movement so much. And, and it's not that I don't think weight loss is an important thing. And I don't think, um, I, I do think there is a need for those types of products out there. I do think there's a lot of bad products out there and there are some great products as well, but you know, the scale of that. Can go either way, but for me, I always want. I always see my job is to get people moving. But weight loss is an area where this is a really good way to look. For example, so for people who are trying to lose weight, they often get into this place of the silver bullet is the solution. That I need this this dramatic, quick fix example, and when we get to that place where I feel like I'm failing. That's all I can see it's it's me on the piano where I've had a couple of weeks where I'm not getting anywhere and suddenly all I'm looking for is the answer on the internet which is going to be the you know the answer that is so obvious before you buy it and then once you buy it like, now with weight loss what's really interesting is that so these things become really appealing for people and the problem so if we look at you know what is the cost of this and for me I love this idea of what is the cost of a silver bullet solution and for me when we look at the weight loss example there's often some massive costs so if you're looking for the silver bullet solution for weight loss and you go on this path of of an extreme kind of way of trying to live to help you lose your weight well first of all often those extreme types of ways aren't manageable for the long term so you might be able to manage them for a very short period of time But they're so extreme that when you blow out, people blow out massively because they just can't maintain them for the longest time. So there's this kind of cost of um, it not being manageable in the long term. So when we think about sustainable weight loss that I could hold for a long period of my life, it's it's a plan that can't work. It's a plan that's actually not sustainable, so I'm going to fail. Second of all is when we think about the cost of the silver bullet solution around weight loss, the other, th- that ultimately I identify it as a failure because I failed at this thing which reinforces that I'll never be successful. So because I've looked for the silver bullet and I tried the silver bullet which ultimately was not really achievable, so if I look for the weight loss solution that actually was pretty extreme and not really achievable, I'm. it's likely I'm not going to succeed at it. Or I might succeed it for a very short period of time, but then when it's I move away from that formula and go back to a regular kind of life, I fail. So basically that tells me that I'm a failure. And that's what I want to think about when we think about the silver bullet solution, is, is what is the cost of me being attracted to or maybe even taking on the silver bullet solution? And one thing I think about, and in some ways this actually goes back to some of the stuff I was talking about, um, Earlier on in the show, about that race, about the race team epic, and that kind of idea of who am I in my weakest moment? And, um, you know, and who am I in my weakest moment is a really good question to have when we think about the evolutionary process. And, and when we think about uh, how we're, you know, using that at times to empower ourselves is, is a really powerful thing. Um, but what, but, but that who am I in my weakest moment is something that we want at times in our life. Like, we don't want to be living a life where we feel we are always weak. And, you know, that we're always asking that question of ourselves, but we always feel like we're failing. You know, like, it was nice for me last weekend to feel I won that battle. And it would have been nice, you know, if I didn't win that battle after the fact to kind of go, okay, well, where do I learn? And next time, how do I learn from this? But if every moment of every day of your life feels like that, I don't know if that's a really healthy place to live in. And when I think about trying to be, live a healthy life, you know, healthy in, in all facets of how we define health, well, one thing we want to become really good at is not overloading our life with stress. You you, you know, it's interesting, I'm I'm 39, I've recently turned 39, I'm of, I'm of an age where you see a lot of people start to deal with, have to deal with a lot of stress in life, you know, 39, the 30s are an interesting time and in, in a lot of people's lives, because it's kind of where life happens a lot more, your 20s, you know, you're kind of finding yourself, you no know, real responsibility, it starts to come late 20s, but in your 30s, career, family, homes, mortgages, and those types of things come in, and suddenly, you start to add stress to your life in quite demanding ways, and ultimately, what we tend to find is that, that stress that people add to their lives, comes at across your health. It's funny, I was speaking to a friend the other day actually and and they've got, they had four kids under five which is a pretty full on life and their kids are now, I think just all of them are at daycare or at least at school and stuff like that and they're just saying they're starting to get life back and he said, it's been seven years since I've had a weekend where I can go out and just go for a bike ride by myself. Now, kids are great, so it's not that they don't love their kids and it's been all good, but he's saying it's really nice to be able to get some life back. And when I think about, I think one of our jobs needs to be in life is to think about how much stress we should be adding into our lives. And a really good example of this is home ownership. You know, when we think about people buying their first home, well, it's almost like a home, the buying of your first house is one of those silver bullet moments, isn't it? Is that, you know, I get to this moment where I see the house that I want. You know, like it's a real classic. People, you know, you, you'll go to the bank, you, you've saved the deposit, you go to the bank and you let's say you've got a house, uh you've got a you can you can get you know, a house worth half a million dollars, let's just say. I don't know if that's a lot or or a little depending on where you live, but it's just the number I've pulled out out of my butt <laughs> about half a million dollars and you go to the bank and, and, and you, you kind of think to yourself okay well, if I get a loan I may have saved a 100000 and I get a loan of 400000 and based on our income that, that sits really well and you know that means we could have a pretty manageable life pretty similar to how we live right now we may have to make a couple little sacrifices so we might not be able to go out for dinner every week but we can probably still go out once every three weeks you know so that's a that's a, a sacrifice we're willing to make for us to get home ownership and so when we think about sitting down to buy the house that's how we rationally look at it and you kind of do those equations but then when we go into looking at buying the house suddenly the $500,000 house or the house was within that market are no longer appealing and we start to go to that place, that kind of silver bullet moment where we get irrational around our decision making and we just go for what's appealing so suddenly we go out and we look at the houses at five hundred thousand, and the area is good. But oh, you know, if I could spend a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand more, it'd be a much better area, and it's going to be great for our kids when they go to school because I want my kids to go to a great school. And oh, you know, and we needed two bathrooms because you know the ensuite, and we, the kids can have their own bathroom, and so on and so on. So suddenly you start to rationalize and you start to argue why getting a house worth six hundred to six hundred fifty thousand is a much wiser choice. Well, when you're in that silver bullet moment, you're not really thinking of the cost of doing the bigger house. So you don't necessarily look and go, okay, but that means we're going to go out once every six months. That means we have no money for us to be able to, you know, I might have to quit my gym membership, which is actually something that's really important to my health and well-being. So when we think about that moment there, people lose the ability to see the bigger picture. And they lose the ability to see the stress that they are going to create once they make that choice. And in that moment, it's the silver bullet just makes it appealing. The downfall of that moment is you make that choice and then after that moment you have to live with the costs of that choice. So if we go back to my example, my cost of my choice was it cost me 400 bucks and it cost me a couple of weeks on the piano that lost me. Now that's not a big cost, you know, like I'm glad that was the only cost I had there but if i had bought a house that was well above what my price range was and actually joel and i actually had a really good example of this recently the house two doors from it down from us went up for the market um and it was our it's our dream home i'm not going to deny it we like we've got a beautiful home we love our house but this was kind of like our last house if, if we were going to buy one more house in our lifetime this had it all and um and we sat down and we and we, we were doing this silver bullet thing. We were doing that. Oh, everything like it was amazing. It was everything we wanted in the house, and and we were just justifying why it was the perfect answer for us, and and we were kind of making it happen. Now, the price point this house was going for was above what we wanted and what we were, what we kind of thought we'd want to have but at the same time it, you know we could stretch it out and we you know we started to do these arguments we were starting to do these arguments of well we could just pull back a little bit here and we could just pull back a little bit here and and so on and, and we were doing the silver bullet thing of not thinking about what what the, what the what the cost the cost the cost to our real life would be if we it in this house right now in our life what would be the stresses that we bring to our life, and Joe and I are very fortunate. We don't have a huge amount of stress, and I think, like I, I'm very lucky. We have a great relationship. In some ways, I think one of the reasons we have a great relationship is because we haven't. We're both very conservative, so we haven't created a lot of stress in our lives. So we don't have those big stressful things that we have to deal with. So it's easier to have a good relationship. And I think there's something in that because, really, when we think about silver bullets and the costs of them, often they bring in stress and costs that are going to cost me massively after the fact and luckily for joe and i we were were going down it's like we were getting to the point where you know we were thinking let's go talk to the bank and we we actually knew the real estate agent so we're getting an idea of the price and so on and so on so we're we were setting the wheels in motion for us to make a silver bullet decision and then one day i just i said oh let's just look at let's just do a financial side of this so so we sat down and we 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 kind of did a a budget spreadsheet of what would be the cost of us doing this, what it would mean for our lifestyle for us to do this. And once we sat down and we rationally went through the financial costs, it was just so obvious that this was a really bad decision for our life. Now, we would have got the ultimate house, and we probably would have managed it okay. But man, it would have added a massive amount of stress to our life. And when we stopped and did that, it was really fascinating because by just doing that process, and we just sat down, we wrote down, you know, where our income is, our assets, and so on. What would be the cost, and you know, and it just was obvious we could not make this work, or we could make this work, but it would mean there's a lot more stress to our life. And once we stopped and did that, it became really obvious this was a really poor choice. Like, this is not the time in our life to go for that a house of that level. You know, we hope in another five, ten years from now, if we keep building what we're building, that would be something that's realistic for us. But at this moment right now, it's just not possible because we like the fact our life doesn't have a huge amount of stress in it. And if I go back to the, you know, where I started this today with the, my client who, with the we roll into fitness, in their email after the fact, they said, you know, the need to get the car disappeared. Now... That's something, and I know this client of mine, they are trying to work on their financial side of their life. So if they bought a new car at that moment, that would have been a cost to their life massively after the fact, which would have created more stress. Now, what does stress bring to our life? tends to bring unhealthy behaviours. So when I think about this as a whole, and I think about silver bullet solutions, silver bullet solutions are a really dangerous thing in your life. And it's understandable why they're appealing in times where we feel dissatisfied or we feel the change isn't happening fast enough. Because we all want the quick fix. And, and, you know, the people who are selling the quick fix, that's the problem, is because they know, you know, they know you. that's what appeals to the market. So they're going to tell you all the right things that the quick fix is the answer. But I think ultimately, what, so where do I want you to go today with this? So if there's a, a few kind of steps in thinking that I want you to think about. First of all is what are the areas of your life where the silver bullet comes appealing to you? So for me it's not weight, I'm, I'm happy with my weight, but for me it's going to be the piano because that's the area I grow and where I don't feel I'm growing fast enough. For you it might be weight, for you it might be exercise, it might be career, it might be um, a hobby that you have, but where's that area in your life that you know deep down uh, the silver bullet becomes a really appealing thing. Then the second thing is once you've identified that area, is maybe through some reflection upon in the past, how has the silver bullet worked against me? So look for those times. You know, for me, it was buying that piano course. So it was it was a total waste of my time and energy. I should have just kept practicing on the path I was on. If Joe and I had bought that house, that would have been a good example. So so in the past, where where have been those moments where I've made silver bullet choice, and What was the cost of that? So if you can do some reflection and learning about that. So in the past, I did go on a silver bullet diet. And actually, the cost of it was I I didn't lose weight. I ended up putting more weight on. I reinforced that I was a failure with food. So it actually made me feel bad about myself. So that was the cost of it. So what's my area? In the past, where have I used the silver bullet? And what was the cost of it? Then, how do I be aware of silver bullets in the future? so if you've identified that area that's really worked for you that's that's one thing that's really going to help so the silver bullet, you know, mine is piano so for me, when I'm feeling despondent in the future I need to know oh, this could be a silver bullet moment once you're aware of that that can be a trigger that then you could go put a rational process in place so again, for, for the experience of Joe and I looking at that house down the road we were in the emotion of the silver bullet but we luckily injected a a process that made us go rational around our decision and and, like if I go back to my client early on who um, for her it was probably flicking me the email she kind of thought you know oh here's an interesting moment flick me the email and she got rationally through that to where she told me I just got the warrant of fitness and it disappeared so you know for joe and I was sitting down and kind of really looking at a budget and thinking well what would that life be and deciding actually we don't want that life we want a stressless life and we've got it now why would we sacrifice that just for a house so some kind of rational process that allows you to you know it is it is funny after the fact it seems foolish once you get to the rational place so after the fact for joe and i was a little bit like it was a bit foolish that we even thought about this because it's so obvious it was a bad choice after i bought that course it was a bit foolish because i knew deep down what they were promising was an absolute lie and so what's the tool that's going to help me get to a rational place and then once I've gone through that tool, where do I need to redirect my energy so I'm focusing on growing in the right thing? So for me, it was get back on the piano, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, trust that, hey, day in, day in workout, where I'm trying to continually improve will be the thing that actually gets me to where I want to be. For my client, it was get your war on a fitness. For you, what is the action I need to take? Now, if you can do this, uh, what you're doing is you're eliminating those costs and you're actually creating a much stressless life. Like if we go back to the example of the first home buyer, if they, if they buy the house for 500000 it means that their life is going to be healthier after the fact because they don't have the stresses that their extra $150,000 mortgage would have brought to them lives. So their relationship will be healthier, they'll have better energy, they'll be, have more time for themselves, they'll be have to make their life work better. Whereas if they buy that $650,000 house, their life is going to have bigger stresses. It might hurt their relationship. It might mean they have to work longer, which means they have less time for self, for exercise, for healthy eating and so on. So that's what I want you to think about today. And if if I kind of recap it all, silver bullets come from times of desperation in areas we're not growing in ways that we want to grow faster. What we want to do is we want to become good at seeing those areas of our life where silver bullets could be appealing. Once we have an understanding of that, we want to look back to our past and see where we've used them and shown us that actually they come at a cost that's actually not good for us. From there, we're in that area, we want to develop a, a, a rational process that allows us to kind of think through those times where silver bullets become appealing and get us back on the right path towards sustainable growth in this area in the right way. Then, from there, to be able to kind of evolve on that path, if you think you did that, if you if you know if you're listening to this right now and it's really appealing to you and it's making a lot of sense to you, if you think you did that, do you think that would have a massive amount of effect on your health and your life? And that's the thing I think is the most important thing is that silver bullets actually make unhealthy people because it tends to just create more stress and more sense of failure which tends to move us towards unhealthy behaviours. Whereas if we can rationally move through them, we're on a much healthier path in our life. And if you can do that, well, there's a much higher chance you'll be that better version of yourself. All right, team, that's uh, pretty much today's episode wrapped up. I've got to say, um, uh, think about this stuff. I, 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 there's a lot in there, I think, and I think there's, it's, it's really important stuff. Really think about these areas for you because we all have our areas. We all have our areas where, you know, we don't feel good enough or we want to be better and, uh, and that this kind of silver bullet actually hurts us. And, um, yeah, it's kind of where am I going to put my energy? And, and I do love this idea of trying to create a life, you know, having the foresight to see the stress that I'm creating and reducing it as much as possible in how I make decisions. Um, that's pretty much today's show. Uh, anything else I need to kind of wrap up for you guys? No, if you, want be, if you want to email, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com and you can also just go to my Bevan James Isles website uh, to check out any of my work that I do I do my video podcast now which I put mainly on Facebook and YouTube Uh, if you want to get those emailed to you there is a link on my website to sign up for the information or get that emailed to you Um, I did one on mothers recently and it got a massive amount of feedback which is really cool so if you're a mother you may want to check that one out actually it was really interesting I did one on mothers um, that kind of loss of self of being a mother and, and how do those around them support them to have a little bit of self during that time when they first have children. And it was particularly for young mothers or mothers of young children. And that whole idea of, that you know, imagine, like imagine, if you, if tomorrow you had to quit your job, stop all your hobbies, stop everything that was good for you, and put all your energy into a child. Now, that's a really rewarding thing and being a parent is is amazing. But it is pretty tough to lose all your identity in that moment. And the whole idea of the podcast, or the video podcast was, well, how do you make sure that mum's having a little bit of time for themselves. Now, it's obviously not going to be what they had before the child, but just enough time for themselves in that period there. Um, And that whole idea of giving them support to be able to allow that time. It might be, you know, you go out and babysit for a friend or or if you're a partner of the mother or a grandparent or something, um, you, you know, you give them an hour every couple of days to go out and go for a walk or stuff like that. And just that little time is really important. For their sense of identity, and, and it was—it's always—it's—it's it's a well-received message because it's a really important message. But I actually had to talk to a, a guy at the gym last night, and he's—he's having he's, he's his partner both come to the gym, and they—they they seem to get it right, you know, like they both—they've just recently had a kid, and they tag team in and out so that both of them get a bit of time for themselves. But it was really interesting because one—one one of the grievances he had, and it, it wasn't—it wasn't that um, his partner was it wasn't coming from a bad place, but he said one of the things that sucks about being a guy is, you know, because he is, They, I think they have a pretty traditional role, he's doing the provider role, is that you kind of miss a lot of the good bits of a young child, and uh, and he said that's a little bit frustrating as well, because I, I get home and I, you know, I have an hour, and I make the most of that hour, but then I also miss the good bits, and I, you know, it was, it was a really good point as well, and so the parenting stage is hard for a young family, and uh, yeah, so it is important that, There's that sense of we're working together on this. And when we're working together, it's how do we work together as a whole family, which is a really important kind of discussion to have. Because when we think about stressful times in life, when you bring a kid into life, man, that can be pretty demanding. So anyway. Uh, that's this week's or well, this fortnight's episode hopefully I get these interviews sorted over the next couple of weeks I'll be back in two weeks from now uh, if you enjoy what I do go on iTunes put a, put some feedback on iTunes apparently it makes a big difference I don't know but that's what they say on other podcasts so it must be true uh, Twitter, Facebook, anything like that. And if you do, I can't take any more Facebook friends, but I do have a Facebook page, like a fan page. So on my own personal page, I can't just because they're limited at five thousand. But I do have a fan page. So if you go to my fan page, all the stuff I put out there is on there as well. So anyway, guys, keep on rocking, and I'll see you guys in a couple weeks.